a Lifetime Original Podcast. It's 2006. Jodie Harris is walking the streets of Sydney, Australia's North Shore when she sees Anita Mulligan trip and hit her head on a curb. A crowd of people gathers around her immediately. They ask if she's okay and try to get her help. Jodie rushes into action. She pushes to the front of the crowd, saying, She's a doctor. She's here to help. And after examining her, Jodie gets Anita into her car and drives her to the hospital. She tells her that everything is going to be all right. But what Anita doesn't know yet is she's being mugged. According to Australian news reports, Jodie has already stolen her driver's license. After Jodie drops off Anita at the hospital, she uses the ID to drain Anita's accounts of more than $10,000. Anita won't realize what's happened until a few days later. But this is only the tip of the iceberg. Jodie Harris isn't just an opportunist. She's a world-class con artist. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Ipema. And this is Crime of a Lifetime. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Police officer Andrew Twinning sits at a table at a wine bar in Melbourne, Australia. He's 32 years old and he's looking nice. He's wearing a fleece jacket. He styled his hair, which it's 2006, so I assume there was a lot of gel involved. He's put on some new cologne, so he's smelling good. He looks more like a professor than a police officer, and to be honest, that's what his intentions are. He's not kind of leading with his police officer energy. He's trying to come off as like a nice, normal guy. Yeah, he's on a date, or he's headed to one. Um, He met this young woman he saw on a dating app, Jody Harris, and you know what? He was just hooked when he read the description. A bisexual Aquarian who drinks socially and values good looks. I mean, she does sound really fun and funny. I want to get a drink with her, frankly. He got a kick out of the interest she listed, too, which was um, swinging sex, spanking, and handcuffs. And wait a minute. No need to go to the store, right? Because Andrew, he already owns a pair of those. So let's, let's do this thing. First dates, while they typically make some people nervous, Andrew's, you know, They don't really affect Andrew as much because he's a police officer. He does traffic violations. And what isn't like a first date, more like a traffic violation. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, think about it. There's the anxiety, the will they, won't they, are you going to get lucky? I think it's like a pretty one-to-one ratio in that respect. Um, So he's used to it. He knows how to keep his calm under pressure. Um, But something about this woman's bio, 
he's feeling like a little excited, a little nervous. You know, he had a recent heartbreak and he's looking to just have fun and let loose. And this could be it. Yeah, she sounds exciting. And she arrives looking like a countess. She shows up in a sequined dress with freshly cut black bangs, which, you know, bangs, they can be a risk, but she's pulling them off. She's got a diamond ring on. She's just, she's looking hot, but she's also looking pretty fancy. And Andrew sees her and he's kind of intimidated. He's like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? But then the waitress comes by after they're seated and Jody orders a crown lager, tells her, serve it up in the bottle. And he's like, okay, she's maybe not exactly what she seems. And I actually am starting to feel pretty relaxed. It only takes a few minutes of talking to her for Andrew to realize that this Jody, she's a catch, and it seems like she's really into him. She tells him that she's a flight attendant, so she's always traveling. She loves to travel, so it's a great job. He tells her that he's a cop, so she can check handcuffs off of her list of shared interests. He's got them. She talks a mile a minute. You know, maybe she's a little nervous too, but one thing's for sure, she's really funny and she keeps making him laugh. And by the way, he's holding his own. So you know what? So far, so fun. That night, they stumble into Jody's apartment. Maybe they had a couple more of those crowns. Andrew sees her flight attendant uniform. It's just thrown over the back of her sofa, along with some luggage, probably prepared for her next flight, he thinks. But he doesn't linger on that for long because they have more important things to do. And that might be talking or making tea probably f***ing first date success the next morning she leaves but Andrew's really excited so he texts her that day asking her if he can see her again and we love a next day text I just want to say stop with this wait three days garbage if you want to text someone text them and he's delighted when she responds back minutes later asking for a date on that Thursday yeah, lesson learned. Text back. You will be rewarded. <laughs> and if this first date went well, then I would say this second date goes amazing. Their relationship is moving fast. Andrew invites Jody to meet his parents. They eat spaghetti like Lady and the Tramp. They play board games. They're hanging out with the parents in Templestowe at their house. And Andrew's dad, who, you know, presumably is a pretty discerning guy, being a former fraud officer, finds Jody absolutely charming. And Andrew's mom feels the same way. They're like, lock it in, Andrew. This girl's a catch. And she's a flight attendant, so she could get them to travel anywhere. <laughs> I'm sorry. Put a ring on it. Over the next few weeks, Andrew and Jody start to go to fancier and fancier restaurants. Most of those Jody ends up paying for. She seems actually to be paying for almost everything these days. At one point, Andrew looks at a receipt and he sees $40 in condoms that Jody bought. And he can't help but gasp. I mean, he's like, $40? Can't you just get a bunch of free condoms from those buckets they hand out at Pride? I don't think he says that, but he does ask her about this. It does seem like an exorbitant amount to spend on condoms. $40? I mean, she's we looking for so lucky, but... She got the uh, jumbo pack. That's the only justification. Well, when he asks her about it, she says to him, that's right, idiot, you complaining? And he's like, ooh, uh, no, you know, that shuts him up right away. But, you know, he's still... He, 
he cannot help but notice her spending habits. They're worth remarking on. She wears expensive clothes. She buys these expensive dinners for them. And she just flaunts a kind of wealth that he is finding it hard to believe a flight attendant would have their hands on. She calls herself a world-class bargain hunter. And this is as she's dropping $6,000 on a single shopping spree. Now, call me crazy, but it feels like $6,000 isn't a bargain. I don't know. Maybe, maybe my it was original 10. <laughs> maybe it was original 10 and she maybe got it down to six. You don't know. I don't know. But again, if you spend $6,000 on a shopping spree, that doesn't feel like, I don't know, reasonable. Call me crazy. But Andrew, love will win, and he is a smitten kitten. So Jody spends a lot of money. So what? Andrew's fellow officers reassure him that flight attendants actually make way more money than cops, and she can probably just afford those things. And Andrew is really grateful to have this explained away by his friends. He's in love, and frankly, he's loving this luxurious lifestyle this woman is affording him. Yes, and when they're not going on dates, he's dropping Jody off at the airport in her flight attendant uniform, her little red number with a name tag, and she calls him from the airport phones in Sydney, in Brisbane, in Adelaide, and they talk all the time, even though she's constantly on the move because her job demands it. By Valentine's Day 2006, Andrew is ready to commit. He's ready to spend the rest of his life with Jody. They've only been together for something like six weeks at this point, but it's all been so great. I mean, he can't imagine his life without her. Yeah, and they're both taking this next step, this idea of committing to each other, very seriously. Very. We're talking tattoo seriously. Yes, that's right. They get tattoos of each other's names. Jody on Andrew's butt cheek. And Andrew on Jody's wrist. It's a little more modest. Jody went with like the more I mean, PG vibe. Yeah, but it's more visible. <laughs> I would You're go right. butt. I would go butt. Easy to cover up. I would for sure go butt. That's my. <laughs> but you know, this leads me to believe. And they say chivalry is dead. Not in this situation. No, ma'am. No, siree. <laughs> no, siree, bab. In the butt. In August. The two of them, they're eating oysters on the 55th floor of a skyscraper in downtown Melbourne. It's one of those places where they charge like $310 per person for a plate of foam with a shrimp on it. But the view is stunning. The food is amazing. They're really drunk on champagne, which is probably because they haven't eaten enough, frankly. And Andrew, he gets down on one knee and he asks Jody to marry him. She says yes, obviously. Quinn, I really want to be happy for them. I really want us to stop here. But I do Mm. feel like something horrible is about to happen. Probably because the name of our podcast is Crime of a Lifetime. Are you serious? I thought it it was Crime of a Love Time. And I thought it was Love of a Lifetime. And that's where (laughs) we're both wrong. It's actually Crime of a Lifetime. We have to stop day drinking. Listen, it can't always be doom and gloom. How do you know we're not taking a break to do a rom-com style one? That'd be fun. And nobody would would expect that. Least of all us. Well, after Jody and Andrew are officially engaged, Andrew tells his very excited co-workers the good news. And he asks his buddy, Officer Glenn Humble, 
Love the name. Must Love be a name. humble guy. He's actually, the right no, guy to go he's to. not. He's not humble. Glenn Humble is actually a raging narcissist. <laughs> oh, that's very weird. That I'm that's kidding. His name. Yeah, weird. Well, he asked Glenn about, do you know of any great honeymoon spots? Because really, sky's the limit with Jody. So let's ponder some spots around the world here. Um, I don't know why Andrew is asking his buddy Glenn for honeymoon travel locations, considering his fiance is a flight attendant. Seems hmm. like she's probably pretty well traveled, but hey, what do I know? Glenn was actually the one who encouraged Andrew to get back out into the dating scene. Without Glenn, Andrew and Jody might have never even met. Oh, well, thank you, Glenn. Thanks, Glenn. How humble. Glenn. You're helpful, you're humble, and you're now going to suggest to Andrew that he consider Greece because it's it's got some great food, it's got great views, uh, I guess maybe some priceless artifacts. I hear they do a mean Greek salad. This is going to be just the perfect place for a honeymoon, and no, we are not sponsored by Greek tourism, but can we be? I would love. Gre- Greece, we're in. We're in. As it turns out, Andrew is actually planning on taking his parents on a long overdue vacation to Greece next month. He's worked night shifts for the last eight months to afford this vacation, and he realizes it's the perfect opportunity to scout out his honeymoon location. Which, sidebar, Quinn, is this a thing people do? Do people just go on honeymoon destinations first without their partner to see what it's like? Yeah, it definitely seems like something a nervous person might do. But um, I feel like Jody's the kind of person that would just want to buy a ticket to somewhere she'd never even heard of and show up there by the seat okay. of her pants. I wanted to make sure it wasn't just me who thought, what's going on here? Okay, you're No, but at the same right. time, at the same time, you know, if you want to know if something's romantic, a really good way to figure it Go out is parents. to do it with your parents. Yeah. On a cruise. That'll we show love. You. By the way, sidebar, I have to say this. I actually went on a cruise to Greece in 2006, do you think with I met Andrew's parents? With Andrew and Andrew's parents, I think I was there, and it was weird. This guy was going around looking at things, making notes. What if they'd make good honeymoon locations? It was weird. It was a weird <laughs> vibe. He was at the buffet, going not sexy, too much cheese, <laughs> too much saganaki. That's really what he said. So Jody drops Andrew off at the airport. It's a little bit of a switcheroo. Usually it's the other way around and he's taking her. But this time she drives up and she gives him a kiss goodbye and he gets out of the car with his luggage and walks into the terminal. When Jody gets back to the car, she has a sinking, ominous feeling. Jody truly loves Andrew. He makes her laugh. He is with her when she's being her silliest and he just really knows her heart and he loves her. She cannot imagine her life without him. She leaves the airport, and she has the keys to his apartment with her. They share a joint bank account. They are connected in almost every possible way. But for Jody, that's a big problem, because she has a secret, and he has absolutely no clue. But Andrew's first impression of Jody was right. She isn't at all what she seems. Jody's been lying to him from the jump. And before the year's out, the truth is going to be brought to light and Andrew's life is going to come crashing down. Well, you knew it was coming. You knew it wasn't going to be pretty for long. Um, But, you know, we could just bask for a minute in the story that it's been thus far because it's been undeniably really fun. 
you know, uh, condoms and seafoam and shrimp and butt tattoos and Greek vacations. It's been really good. It's been really fun. I would love, I would love to end here, but I hate these beginnings because when someone says it's too good to be true, it's because it probably is. And this is actually the story that they are referring to. It is too good to be true. And we are about to tell you what's going on. In the mid-2000s, the Victoria Police Department has been flooded with fraud cases. Identity theft is increasing all over southeastern Australia. And while at first the police believe that these are isolated incidents, in early 2006, there's a sudden uptick in these types of cases. And the pattern suggests all of them seemingly have been committed by the same person. Right, because the MO of this criminal really does stick out. It's a woman wearing fine clothes who carries expensive handbags and walks into a bank and withdraws all the money from a bank account with a stolen ID. So police are like, we see a connection here. The problem is these thefts are not happening in one concentrated area. They're happening all over the place and they're happening to all sorts of people. So in some ways there's really not a pattern. But the Victoria police have an idea to sort of smoke her out. Their suspect is flashy, she's well-dressed, and maybe just to catch her, they need to draw attention to her. So they call up the Herald Sun newspaper and they plant a story. They tell a reporter there that there's this woman running around across Victoria, and she's a phantom, the police say. She uses different names, and she wears wigs. She wears a lot of makeup. She has a lot of heavy jewelry. The story is published the next day. The headline is bold. And in red, it says, Five Star Sting. Phantom con woman lives life of luxury. In one headline, their suspect is now public enemy number one. A few days later, the phone rings at the Victoria Police Department. The caller's looking for the lead investigator of the Five Star Sting. It's the so-called phantom herself on the line. She just wanted a call to let the police know that she is in an apartment on McFarland Street. And in fact, here's the exact address. Did she also give them directions to the place too? Parking instructions? Yes, she told them. She's like, and across the street, you can always find parking right outside the laundromat. She was very helpful. (laughs) She is taunting them. She's calling to taunt them and their investigation. And then, very rude, just hangs up. It's, It's strange choices being made all around. It only takes the police 10 minutes to get to that flat. But this con woman is long gone. So she wanted them to come there. But why? Inside, they find a ton of evidence that she left behind. This includes police outfits, badges, a flight attendant uniform, and even photos of herself. It's like she led them there deliberately to get more evidence against her. Yeah, the police just take this. They don't know what to think, but it's sort of just a middle finger. Uh, This woman just seems to really get her rocks off mocking them. And immediately the cops call up that reporter again to give them the photos of the con woman because they want to publish them pronto. I hope they were cute photos. Wouldn't you hate well, it? Well, she if got they to weren't? pick, so I feel like she was. That's probably <laughs> why she, she led them there. Left? She wanted to have a hand in the exact photos that would be used. She just left some like great headshots that are like really nicely edited, some editorial photo shoots. We love. 
The next day, Officer Glenn Humble is sitting at his table. He's enjoying some breakfast. He turns on the TV to watch the morning news when suddenly the picture of the Phantom Con woman flashes onto the screen. His heart drops as soon as he realizes he knows her. It's in fact Andrew's fiance, Jody Harris. He immediately rushes to the phone to call the Victoria police and tells them everything he knows about this woman. And the police are thrilled. Not only do they know this perp's name, she's dating a cop. She'll be an easy get. And Glenn agrees that Jody's scamming days are over. But he's not excited for his next task. Oh, Glenn Humble. I feel sorry for you. He has to get off the phone and break his friend's heart. And he was the guy that kind of, like we said before, kind of was, it was him that set this whole thing in motion, right? Oh, Andrew is lounging on a cruise ship in Greece with his parents when he gets an email from Glenn. Need to talk ASAP, mate, he reads. Jody isn't who you think she is. And Andrew, he can't believe it. This is the woman he loves. He has a butt tattoo to prove it. It's pretty serious. So Andrew's at this computer, and before even writing back, he's just doing a quick Google search, and it confirms what Glenn has alluded to. Jody is by now national news in Australia. It's like all of the memories of their life together flash in his mind. All of the fancy dinners, the expensive gifts, they suddenly seem to make more and more sense. Andrew feels a combination of anger, betrayal, and frankly, he feels stupid for not seeing it sooner. Jody isn't the person he thought she was. She's lied to him from the very beginning, and then he starts asking himself the questions that anyone would ask themselves if they were in this situation. Did she even love me? Was it all a game? Am I a part of the con? He immediately goes to check on his bank accounts and nothing has been touched. And Glenn asks him, do you want me to go by? Do you want me to change the locks on your house? Andrew isn't sure what to think. He's not sure of anything right now. As betrayed as he feels, as angry as he is, he still loves Jody, And he's being asked for information that could help police identify her. Andrew is stuck between a rock and a hard place. If he doesn't help the police catch her, they'll definitely think that he's in on it. I mean, how could they not? But also, this is the woman he was ready to spend the rest of his life with. So after reading these articles on Jody and talking with the head of the investigation, Andrew just collapses. He lies down on his bed. He's just trying to think of a way out of this situation. But the only thing he can think to do, as hard as it might be, is he needs to help the police catch Jody. Back in Melbourne, Jody is on the run. She's on the lam. She's just called police and told them her address. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. And she's already long gone. She's on a 19-hour drive to Brisbane, Australia. Remember, Australia is a big country. You got to wonder what's going through her head. She left so many clues to her identity behind for these police to discover. All the clues. Every clue. Every clue you could imagine. She left. She even it. left the board game clue. It was wild and it was Colonel Mustard. It just it feels like she wants to get caught and it's hard to just discount her moves as being just in the name of taunting them. She's been running for a long time now and I think it's that she built this house of cards it's gotta fall down at some point and the stress is mounting she is self-sabotaging and just trying to reach that point of inevitability sooner rather than later Jody's been pulling these scams since she was a kid it all started for her when her mom got locked away for selling drugs and she had to move in with her grandparents and Jody, at 14 years old, she was vandalizing her neighborhood and she was committing petty theft. A psychologist might say that she was acting out. Hey, a layperson might say that. But it doesn't take Jody long when she starts to realize she's got a knack for this. And at 15, she fools a sergeant at her local police station into thinking she's 20 and she's the daughter of a wealthy executive. She asks him out for a drink and starts this months-long fling that ends up costing this guy his job, certainly his dignity, at least I hope, dating this underage girl. This girl is 15, and she tricked him. I mean, that has to have been rough. Also illegal. <laughs> so really <laughs> Not illegal. To mention, the thing is, this guy wasn't the only policeman in her crosshairs. At the same time that she's fooling him, she's courting a former cop and now assistant minister in the Australian government. But this guy at least was smart enough to not let her get too close to him. By 19 years old, Jody was taking her interests in cops a little bit further. According to Australian news reports, she rents a white sedan. Imagine a police car without all the details. That's the car she rents. She pulls up to the Roma Street police station in Brisbane and confidently walks in wearing an outfit she stole from a real uniform shop. She even has a badge that she lifted by bumping into a cop on the street. So she walks in and the cop at the front desk looks her up and down, no problem here, and buzzes her in without questioning her credentials whatsoever. She's looking the part in the light blue shirt, cargo pants, and her patrol hat. She even has a name tag. Constable Allison White. And she says to this guy that she's here on official business for a permit renewal. And so he just directs her right away to the weapons licensing department. And get this, in just a few minutes, Jody's issued a gun, which is pretty terrifying. terrifying. Scary. I mean, 
But Jodi, her brazenness and her swagger, it really serves her in these situations because she carries herself with this confidence that a lot of people wouldn't be able to muster under pressure. She, instead of like being in and out, Jody stands there and gabs for 90 minutes with about five different detectives in the station, just getting the inside scoop on confidential cases and criminals and court proceedings. And once again, I wonder to what end is she doing that? Because she can. She walks out of the Roma Street station with a new gun and a lot of really valuable information. And it's not like she has any good reason to do it. It's almost like she wanted to see how far she could push her scams, how far she could go. If this was a Disney song, she would sing How Far I'll Go from Moana. If she could fool a whole department of police, she could fool anyone. Well, clearly not anyone and everyone, because the thing is, her luck does run out eight months later. Jody is then facing 22 counts of fraud and identity theft in front of a Brisbane court for her police impersonation antics, among other things. The judge calls her an incorrigible thief. But she's just, she's unfazed by that. In fact, she insists that she should be tried for 141 more counts of fraud. Jody, my friend, <laughs> you gotta know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Like, seriously, she does not know when to zip it. She does not do editing. So to confirm, he's like, here's these counts. And she's like, wait, 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 here's 22 counts. And she's like, wait, 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 you're wrong. I have 141 more counts. Yeah, she wants credit where credit is due. <laughs> um, she ends up serving time till she's 20. And it seems fairly obvious to state that her time there did not chasten her. According to Australia's Herald Sun newspaper, two years later in 2001, she uses the same police uniform that she nicked to get into another police station in Melbourne, doing this all over again. And there, she gains even more valuable information. A cop tells her that one would have to commit up to $20,000 in fraud before cops are likely to even pursue you. And this is very valuable information to her. This is music to her ears. She already had a habit of stealing strangers' IDs and draining their bank accounts, but this gave her even more confidence, if she had any more confidence to gain at this point. I mean, that she could get away with it. Truly, to Jody Harris, the sky is the limit. So, yeah, back in the day, stealing people's identities and their money really sustained Jody. She kept a low profile, though, most of her early 20s. But she never, ever lost that love for policemen. And I'm not sure what it is. It really feels like an obsession. As a 27-year-old fraudster, she's perusing a dating site called RSVP one day, and she comes across the profile of a handsome 32-year-old man named, you guessed it, Andrew Twinning. Under his occupation, cop. Jody immediately jumps at the chance to get close to another man in blue, a guy in a uniform she loves. But this time, it felt different. When she shows up to the wine bar for their first date, he makes her laugh. He makes her feel comfortable, and she feels really happy when she's with him. And I'm guessing that the sex wasn't, you know, that bad either. When he asks her for a second date the very next day, she jumps at the opportunity. And after a few weeks, they're madly in love. It's hard to say if Jody's relationship with Andrew started out as a scam or if her intentions were always just to find a guy to settle down with. 
She did lie to Andrew about her job as a flight attendant, but also what could she have told him? I make money from art of the con variety? Like there's, there's nothing else she could have said. In March of 2006, when Andrew drops Jody off at the airport for work, she could have just booked it, not come back, changed her identity like she's done a million times before, but she doesn't. All that said, it's not like she wasn't still committing these cons while they were in a relationship. I mean, she had to work. She had to make money. And the job she was best suited for was scamming, con artistry. And she did it often. After Andrew dropped her off at the airport thinking she was a flight attendant, she would eventually get on a plane as a passenger. And according to the Australian newspaper The Age, one time she ended up sitting next to a woman in business class who was actually a flight attendant. And when this woman went to the bathroom, Jody steals her license. And she's not exactly subtle about it. After the flight ends, she casually offers this woman a magazine. And when the woman looks at the magazine, it's dog-eared to an article about a con artist. It's almost like a weird calling card. Yes, it's like a, such a sassy move. And you've got to love her being like, I'm going to foreshadow my own story. Yeah, <laughs> A totally. few days later, Jody goes and drains this woman's bank account of $10,000. And then when it starts to get cleared up and the account gets reimbursed for the fraud, Jody takes that too. Three months into her relationship with Andrew, Jody is flying all around Australia pretending to be a doctor, a psychiatrist, a lawyer, a cop, even the niece of a slain mafioso named Mario Condello. I mean, it's not unlike a very advanced, well-funded game of dress-up. She gets to rent uh, Lexuses and BMWs and get hair extensions, and she's wearing expensive clothes and jewelry and just trying to keep up this image of a wealthy lady. And it's a smart move, because really, the richer you look, the less likely folks are to think you're going to steal. Jody's staying in five-star hotels, looking like a mogul, but... Reports say she's actually stealing IDs from the hotel staff and from the guests so that she can fund this lifestyle. She's wearing wigs and she's putting on heavy makeup when she goes out to the bank to cash out. And she's able to get around security questions without missing a beat. For example, when someone asks, you know, what's your birthday? She would snap at the bank teller as if it were a stupid question, saying, I don't know, it's on my license right there. And often they would kind of get so flustered that they go, oh, okay. And then they would fill it out as on the license. And she often would also get a peek at the teller's computer screen so she could see important information on the account that would help her con them further. Yeah, this is a great move she comes up with here. I call it the Karen strategy, where it's like, <laughs> what's your birthday? And she's like, what's your birthday? And it's just like... If you're rude enough, the situation just actually will have to progress in your favor. And frankly, these bank tellers are also like, I don't get paid enough to fight with this person. I'm out. I'm out. Here's the money. In another case, her designer clothes were enough to convince a teller to ignore the fraud warning on the account she was draining because they think, why would this rich woman be the one committing the fraud? Jody's just able to fool everybody. She fools everybody she meets, the cops, the banks, the business owners, just complete strangers. And she does not care who her victims are. 
You know, she may have a thing for cops, but her victims were from all over the place and she does not pause to think about them. This is just a game and it does not matter or even occur to her who's gonna get hurt along the way. She just doesn't even allow herself to have feelings about that. Except in walks Andrew and that changes for her. They're both truly in love. When he proposes to her in 2006, she says yes immediately and genuinely is excited. And it's not because of some large con, it's because she fell in love. Here she is, she's in love, she's happy, she's with her dream man. But on the other hand, she knows she can't continue that life without being found out. Jody girl, she is in a pickle. And let me tell you, it is a sour one. Yes, because she needs that pickle. It's her bread and butter, you might say. Oh, wow. You know what? You know what, Carrie? It sounds like she'll have to deal with it. I think you stole that joke from your son. (laughs) Regardless, if you're still listening to this podcast after we just did three pickle puns in a row, then just we're grateful for you. you Thank you so much. Pop a review on. (laughs) I really, really feel for Jody, even though she's kind of a train wreck. I I think that she doesn't believe that she's worthy of love, despite all her sort of bravado. And then along comes this guy that I think she did show really real parts of herself to, and he loved her. And then she wants that love so badly, but she also knows it's not totally real because she's lying and that this relationship she now has, her treasured relationship, it's not real likely that it's going to survive the truth. And knowing that, then you go back to the beginning. That confirms her belief that she's unlovable. Sorry, I got like really psychotherapist on that. Totally. I can't help but think of the victims of her, of her cons as someone who's had a check stolen from me and spent a year and a half trying to get my tax refund back. These crimes feel so invasive and are horrible. And it's like people's hard earned money. She's just stealing. Like Mm -hmm. this is some, like you don't know what someone's going through in their life and she's just taking money from them. Like I can't help but think of the case we opened this story with of a woman falling and hitting her head and her pretending to be a doctor and then clearing out her bank account. Like it's like kick someone when they're down, Jody. So I have a hard time feeling bad for her. It's like, it was all going to catch up. I do think, yeah, it's all going to catch up with her. I feel bad for Andrew because I think Andrew, I think their love was genuine. I think she did love him. And the person who is screwed the most is Andrew. Well, not the most, but I think the yeah, person he who was, was screwed who did, the most. Didn't you hear forty dollars worth of condoms? <laughs> I bet she bought those forty dollars worth of condoms, though. I bet that was on her dime. I don't think he paid for it. I'm saying screwed the most, Carrie. It was a sex joke. Jesus, <laughs> good get it. Oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, okay, wait. Let's go back. <laughs> now I get it. LOL. Oh yeah, yeah, Carrie. I'm just really thinking about like the idea of identity theft and how stressful that is for someone. So I couldn't even think about sex. (laughs) Couldn't even think about it. Wasn't even, didn't even cross my mind. From his cruise ship in Greece, Andrew is antsy about what comes next. He knows Jody isn't the person he thought she was. She's a criminal and a fraudster. But he still loves her. He types out a text and sends it. Jody. 
I've seen the news. Can we talk? Within minutes, she sends a reply, like always. I really do love you, Andrew. Hear me out. He calls her and she answers and they talk. There are tears, explanations, plans made. They make a pact to meet in Sydney in a week. And at this point, Jody doesn't know Andrew is working for the police. She heads to Sydney thinking it's going to be a good place for them to hide out, maybe make out. If their reunion goes well, if she can just explain it to him, maybe he'll understand or they can find a way to move forward from this. She goes to Sydney early to get ready for Andrew's arrival. She wants to find a place for them to just lay low and figure this out. So she heads to the Rose Bay real estate office to secure a lease. As she's talking to one of the real estate agents, an office manager named Suzanne recognizes Jody. Her face, after all, is all over the news. She's a con woman. So Suzanne finds a phone in the back room and calls the police. Once the police are on their way, Suzanne approaches Jody, and she must have been so nervous to talk to her because she knows this woman is a con woman. She walks up to Jody and she asks for her ID. And suddenly everyone in the room is like doing that thing where you're trying not to stare, but they're looking out of the corners of their eyes just trying to see what's going on. Because the whole office knows the most famous con woman in Australia is sitting in their office. They all stop to watch and Jody, without missing a beat, tells them, oh, I must have left my license in the car. I'll be right back. And she walks out of the office and bolts down an alleyway just before the police roll up to the building. And Suzanne, she gets all kinds of props from her coworkers. Ooh, I can't she just imagine. Did this like Australia's biggest scammer who's all over the news, and it's got to be a pretty boring office most of the time. This was an exciting day, and Suzanne is feeling pretty cool. And the next day, the Victoria Police give her a call. They want to ask a few questions. She's not really uh, surprised that they want to get this information from her. She's just really happy to very loudly comply <laughs> so that the co-workers can hear her on the phone. I just imagined her being like, it's the police. It's actually the police from yesterday. Oh, it's for Did me. you hear the person who was sick yesterday? Did you hear what happened yesterday? I basically am a celebrity. Someone get this woman a cake. She tells them everything she knows how she spotted Jody, that she had these huge jewels on her fingers. She's just talking away for nearly 10 minutes when suddenly the cop hangs up on her. And it's not till a moment later that it dawns on her. She wasn't talking to the police. She was talking to Jody. That that just had to have sucked the, all the air out of her balloon, you know? Oh, also, it's just she was so proud of herself bragging to all her friends about catching this con woman. And then she gets duped the very next day. Hubris, man. Hubris. Yes, yes. And I feel like Jody called to be like, you think you got me? F you. I get the last laugh. <laughs> Antics aside, now that Jody has been spotted in the area, the police know she's not far. There's only one day until Andrew is set to meet her in Sydney, and the police are gearing up for what's going to be a massive operation. Jody is a slippery con artist, so they're not going to take any chances. As Andrew boards his plane in Athens, he sends Jody a text. I'll see you soon, baby. Can't wait. Love you. But that text isn't just to Jody. The police are watching every text come through. Scruffy Murphy's is an Irish pub with the perfect name in Sydney's Chinatown. 
Andrew's set to pick Jody up there at 3 a.m. in front of the bar, and about a third of the patrons and the taxi drivers on this block are undercover officers. It's like everything would look normal from the outside, but it's sort of a movie set, actually, with all actors, except not really actors because everyone's packing heat beneath their shirts. The police, they're not going to take any chances with Jody. She's not going to slip through their fingers, so they are patiently waiting for their moment. At 3 o'clock in the morning, Andrew texts Jody, let's go, baby, we'll drive through the night. He's waiting in his Holden Statesman sedan, just waiting for Jody to show up, and he can't see her anywhere. Then suddenly, a taxi pulls up alongside his car and out pops Jody. She is grinning ear to ear, and she immediately just gets into the passenger side of the car. Andrew tries to keep up this facade. He shoots her a smile, but it's pained and weak, and then he breaks eye contact, and immediately, Jody knows the jig is up. She hops out of the car to make a run for it, but the police are waiting for her. They know her. She's slippery. She's then pinned down and handcuffed as she shouts curses at the police. For Andrew's sake and just appearances, police pull him out of the car and handcuff him too, but Jody's not really falling for that. She knows that he tricked her. At Jody's hotel, the police discover a whole stash of loot, a fake Australian passport, a Victoria police uniform and access badge, wigs, hundreds of ID cards, stolen police property, credit cards, and they pour them all out in front of her at the police station. Jody can just rattle off the card numbers, who she got them from, how she got them. She has a photographic memory of every scam she's committed. Wow. And as they're taking her out of the prisoner holding area, she shouts, Andrew Twinning, why isn't he here? Ask where he is. He's being protected by police. She knows that he's in on it, but Andrew is not scot-free. He's been suspended from duty pending an internal investigation into the situation. And in their investigation, they find an unregistered gun in his home. That brings him to court where he claims it must have been Jody's. Well, and lucky for him, he tells this story of what he's been through in the heartbreak, and it sways the jury in his favor, and he is acquitted of any misconduct. But even after he's cleared to return to the police station, Andrew avoids it for months. He's struggling to work through his feelings with counselors. He's probably questioning whether he's even fit to be a police officer, and I would bet he's feeling pretty embarrassed. But I would say... Andrew, you were not the only person that Jody fooled. She even got one over on a former fraud officer, a.k.a. your dad. In September of 2006, Jody is brought before a court in Victoria. She's charged with 141 counts of fraud, and she doesn't even bother to show. Instead, her lawyer puts in a plea of guilty on 43 charges with the promise that she'll plead guilty to another 80 charges soon. It's a long day, and after reading 43 charges, this court needs a break. The judge would eventually hear from dozens of victims in the trial and learn that in six months, Jody stole at least $170,000. She probably stole a lot more than that. She is sentenced to four years in prison in order to pay back all the money she stole, plus $5,000. But that is only the beginning of Jody's charges. For the next several years, Jody 
will be in and out of prisons as she moves between different states where she committed her various crimes. Every moment of freedom is followed by a new trial in a new state and new charges and eventually a new sentence. When she's finally transferred to a prison in Melbourne, she sends a letter to Andrew. He hasn't heard from her since she was arrested, but she's hoping that she can rekindle their relationship. And she writes to him, I adore you, Andrew. I am changing daily to be the woman you deserve and will always have in your beautiful life. I am so happy to move down there to see you. But then her letter weirdly pivots into this sort of plea. I know you're probably doing it hard down there, but when you can, please, please send me some money for my shoes. Andrew does not respond. In 2008, she goes before a Melbourne court to face another 96 charges and $160,000 in fines, all of which she pleads guilty to. But what's noteworthy is that at this hearing, she's wearing a t-shirt that says, doing time. Jody, she's always so sassy. Can't keep that sass in. It's probably not going to help her with her sentencing, I can't imagine. No, I wouldn't think so. In 2010, she gets transferred to Queensland to face even more charges, 116 counts of fraud, forgery, and theft, and she pleads guilty again. But this time, she's not showing up alone. Her mom, Debbie, is out of prison and is at her side, and she is a far cry from the drug-dealing mom who left Jody to fend for herself when she was just a kid. She has turned her life around. She's a lawyer and a social worker now, and she's really become a role model for Jody. Jody spent what she had left of her 20s in prison, and years in prison have worn her down at this point. She does not want to go back to the life of crime that she relied on to stay afloat. Following in her mom's footsteps, Jody begins studying Aboriginal communities from behind bars. She starts a prison recycling program, and she begins teaching the police how to suss out fraudsters and con artists. Take your broken heart and turn it to art, right? Yeah, as long as it's not con art, sure. She shows them all of the holes in the banking system and in their own systems that made it so easy for her to get away with impersonating other people for years. When she goes before this Queensland judge while awaiting sentencing... She's been living with her mom. She's been working as a cleaner for a mobile home company, and she wants to turn her life around. For the first time in her criminal career, the judge can see that Jody has changed. She's finally expressed remorse for her crimes. And this time, instead of sentencing her to prison again, Jody's given a suspended sentence of 12 months, which legally speaking, means she's free. She's since taken classes at university. She's worked at bars. She's taught children. But she's never been able to revive her relationship with Andrew Twinning. As far as we know, she has not committed a crime since. We already touched on this, but I do think that Jody really wanted to get caught, that she had this deep seed inside of her that wanted her hand to be forced, right? Like she, she wanted to make this change in her life and she maybe just needed a push. I don't know. I think she had a thing with cops where there was a flirtation with them because of that desire to get caught. You know, we didn't go too much into her past, but she had sort of a sad childhood 
uh, like we said, her mom and her stepdad went to prison when she was really young. So she went to live with her grandma. And at that time, when her mom was away in prison, she was allegedly abused. And I feel like not having her mom around when this was all happening, she blamed the police for everything in her life going wrong. It becomes sort of a love-hate relationship of, you're the enemy that took my childhood from me. But also wanting to flirt with that danger of, Somebody fix this. Somebody help me. Somebody catch me. And a psychologist did weigh in at one point and say that the disruption of her childhood by the justice system is what led her to her obsession with police. Well, I think also to add on to what you said, I think that growing up, she sees these police officers as having control of her life. And I think maybe that was tempting to her is like, these officers have a lot of control and power and that felt alluring to her, whether it was like putting on the uniform or being close to that power. It was like it allowed her to have some control in some ways. Yeah, for sure. I do find myself feeling really sorry for Jody, and I know that her victims did really suffer as well. Yeah, I mean, I I feel sad for anyone who has such a horrible and sad upbringing. Um and there was clearly a lot of trauma going on in her life. Um, but I also do think there are plenty of people who have traumatic upbringings who don't steal from people, destroy people's lives, commit massive fraud, you know, like taking advantage. Like I touched on it earlier, but I, I'm going to repeat it. It's like a woman collapses and hits her head. And then Jody uses that as an opportunity to steal her money. Oh, it's no, little, sure. You know, it's hard she... to feel bad for someone who's like that malicious. Do you know what I mean? Or like yeah, that well, not, careless. I think it's not malicious. I think she did. She was opportunist. Did not let herself think about who these people right. were. If there was an opportunity in front of her, she took it. Listen, she was incredibly gifted at what she was doing. But what I love about this story is it's like I really do believe love got her in the end. Like it's like a weird rom com because I genuinely believe that if she hadn't fallen in love with Andrew Twinning she would have been free for a whole lot longer. Catch more gripping stories pulled straight from the headlines with all new original series and movies on Lifetime and stream on the Lifetime app or on demand. Check out mylifetime.com to find out what's airing because it might just be the case we talk about next. We used many sources in our research for today's episode. Among the most helpful were the following. An article in the digital publication, Truly Adventurous, entitled... The Incredible True Story of Jody Harris, Con Artist Extraordinaire by Sandy Milne, and an article from Australia's Herald Sun entitled Con Artist, Jody Harris is Australia's Queen of Con Artists by Paul Anderson. If you'd like to learn more about this story, we highly recommend you check out these sources. Crime of a Lifetime is produced by Tanner Robbins. Our associate producers are Hazel May and us, Quinlan Posner and Carrie Ipema. Our sound designer and editor is Arlen Ginsberg. Our senior producer is John Thrasher. McKamey Lynn is our supervising producer, and Jesse Katz is our executive producer. If you like what you hear on the show, please subscribe, rate, and review Crime of a Lifetime on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.